everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Funny Book Forensics. I'm Dan. And I'm Greg. And that's right, fellows and girls, we are here with an episode of Old Time Radio. Whoa! What happened to Dan? Who are you? I am the announcer. You need to eat your pep, Greg. Oh my goodness. What did you... What? what I, I... Pick, eat your pep. Yes, pep cereal by Kellogg's. Pep cereal brought to you by Superman. Fellows and girls, eat up all your pep. Can, um, how, how, what is going on? Am I, it's pep it... time. That's right. Pep is the cereal for you. It brings sunshine in every bowl. We are going to make a pyramid out of pep and put peaches around it. That sounds delicious. It sounds horrible. It's like Wheaties. It gets soggy and stuff. But I like it. It sounds delicious. But if we make a berry delight, you can have it all over the world. We're going to share it with everyone. Oh my gosh. I'm 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 at a loss. I don't even know what happened to Dan, people. I'm I, I think I'm smelling toast right now, but maybe I'm not. I don't well, know. Well that's right, people. And now we are gonna have new music for the show because we've been listening to old time radio, and since we talk about old things like old comics, we need new music. The music isn't good enough anymore? We just changed. Uh, we need new music. We need organ music or something. We need something amazing. We need to learn about everything. Are we going to redo the intro with new music again? Look, it's, it's a bird. A plane? Up in the sky. Whoa. It's Superman. really serious stuff, Greg. Yes, it is. Very super serious stuff. <laughs> I'm. Yeah, well, maybe new music. I mean, can you find me some like cool organy like old time radio music? For I probably could. I probably could. This episode, maybe. Yeah, for this episode, for sure. This is a very super special episode. This is not of our normal format of not of our normal uh, of our of our normal numbering system either. <laughs> no, this is a, a special episode. Yeah, and I think the big thing here that we need to focus on is so Superman. Uh, 1938, uh, 9? Gosh, messed that up as a Superman historian. Y'all can laugh at me later. Uh, but we get Action Comics number one, and of course we have this big war happen. You might have heard of it, World War II. Just a little bit. Uh, but well into that, the Superman radio show starts, and it is running concurrently with the Superman comics and action and in Superman's own title. And at the same time, you may have heard Greg and I talk about this before, but you had Shazam, you had Wiz Comics and Shazam over at Fawcett Comics and and, and Captain Marvel mm-hmm. uh, was not Shazam, it was Captain Marvel, I'm going to yeah. emphasize that. And those comics for a while were outselling Superman. And, and one of the ways Superman really uh, made his way into the public sphere was through the radio show. Yep, yep. And you get iconic things like Up, Up and Away and... You have characters like Jimmy Olsen directly created for the show and then brought into the comic book. And and a lot of people assume that these characters all just started and originated in the comics. But the radio show contributed uh, significantly to the Superman origins, mythos, and what people think of as Superman today. And so you can kind of think about it from a modern day perspective of how heroes have changed. Like Batman has changed over time because of the TV show and then the Michael Keaton uh, version of Batman and, of course, the Dark Knight. You also have characters like Hawkeye who changed substantially in the comics 
due to how they were portrayed in the movies. And mm -hmm. so when you have media competing with each other, the most popular one is usually going to win out. And then the stories that move forward are going to take elements of that popular movie and bring them to the forefront. I find it so interesting too. Like there's so many iterations of these stories out there that like you could, you could grow up in different time frames and have grown up literally with very different superheroes, obviously, but yet they all have that. Like you just said, they, they take those elements of it and you can have a kid who was born now sit down with a grandparent uh, or a great grandparent. If they're, if they're fortunate enough to have one and still share the enjoyment of a superhero the same way. And it's interesting, too, because, of course, we have Twitter and Facebook, which also encourages people to fight over how a superhero should be portrayed and what they do. And it's interesting because even though we could get really nerdy and fight over specifics on Superman mythos, a lot of the key core characteristics of Superman have carried over time. And when writers have tried to change some of those major characteristics, it didn't work. True. And so a couple of, of things, though, today, uh, we are going to be talking about super fun topics like Superman and racism. Very timely and very important. And when I say super fun, I think it's interesting to think of because racism, obviously not fun. Not fun. <laughs> but I think it's important to realize that when we're talking about race and discrimination and people are coming to us and saying, wow, I just got woke in June of 2020. And my <laughs> yeah. answer is, where were you? Exactly. And are you aware that in history, we've acknowledged this, fought it fa and failed. And that's why we're still fighting these fights today. Mm -hmm. And so here we have an illustration of where major media and society was pointing out groups that were inherently discriminatory and racist against others and fighting it publicly in one of the most listened to national syndicated radio shows. Yeah, because at the time there was no television. This was how people enjoyed media. If you weren't reading it or picking it up in the newsstand, you were listening to it at home. You were getting it over the airwaves via your radio that everyone sat around. And when you're looking at, in these cases, Superman radio serial episodes are 15 minutes. They come on every day. They were definitely targeted at youth, but they were listened to by everyone. And so you have a platform with a huge audience, and they risked a lot to take on a major issue. And interesting enough, too, the, the, type, of, the type of stories that they told uh, with the Superman radio serial show, uh, these are the same types of stories uh, that could also entice a listener, such as, a, as, a, as an adult that would normally listen to a Dragnet show or any other show out there that was more geared towards them. But because they tackled such hard-hitting topics, uh, such as racism or such as uh, different types and aspects of crime that, that were a little more, I'm not going to say juicy, but yet there was something there for them to, to think about. There was a little bit of substance, right? So this is this episode, we're going to talk about that substance. We're going to talk about that that juiciness and why it's so important. 
And the other thing I think too, so we are going to be talking about the 16 part series on the clan of the fiery cross on the Superman old time radio show came out in 1946. And of course you are following DC comics at all. You know that there was a recent series of graphic novels that recreated this series. And of course it was spun in a completely different way. So enjoy us for the, this piece and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the changes that were made to that story in the end but for now we're going to focus in on some old time radio but before we talk about the clan of the fiery cross if you're not aware of who they're alluding to uh they're referring to the ku klux klan and so this is 1946. greg tell me a little bit about how the ku klux klan came to be all right, so I'm not a historian, but I am somebody who likes to delve into history. And without friends like you, who definitely are more historian type based, I wouldn't have this breadth of information before me. But uh, there's basically multiple levels, or, or I guess you want to say waves of of the Klan movement uh, through our, our our country, and uh, they came in different waves through. Uh, we saw through the twenties or the, the teens, I guess. Um, and, uh, you would see that, uh, they, they rose up during, during that time and through the South, uh, more, more or less, um, you know, bringing, uh, this reconstruction era of the clan and, uh, and trying to basically move this agenda. And then yeah, so right after the civil war, right. And, yeah. and if you've, uh, if you've heard a soldier named Nathan Bedford Forrest glorified as the cavalry writer of the South, he was the hero of the Southern independence movement. Now it's, it's horseshit. Excuse me for my cussing, but Nathan Bedford Forrest was an abject racist who used his power after the war to gather people up in white sheets and parade around Tennessee as the ghosts of the dead to scare people and intimidate them and steal their stuff. That's kind he was of what, a terrorist and a thief. Yeah, it's kind of what weak people do when they're actually afraid to go out in public and and, and do things. They they go out and use scare tactics and guerrilla style warfare like that. And he's pretty much one of the worst people in history. I you know, just get right down to it. Yeah. And, and then of course you have a second wave. So that's the first wave of the clan yeah. was is right after the Civil War, and we have a second wave of the clan uh, that's in the. 19 teens and make care be careful when you say the teens because if you say the teens they might think we're talking about right now where we're yeah. having a little white supremacist movement too so let's clarify we're actually talking about the 19 teens and the the movement comes back uh it was pretty it was outlawed actually in the 1870s uh the movement was basically dead and it comes back and it was glorified by a movie called birth of a nation Greg, you want to talk a little bit about Birth of the Nation? That's that's right up your it, history alley. It's it's interesting because it uh, it definitely uh, is one of those films that uh, glorified the uh, that that movement, or or at least was meant to, and uh, it was met with a lot of different reviews. Um, it uh, definitely had a differing reaction to uh, those. It, from the South versus those outside of the South. Um, it, uh, for, for what it, for what it was and for what we can see it now, uh, as it was definitely not a, it was, 
Well, let's be let's be blunt. Like the movie depicts uh, a white woman being saved by members of the Ku Klux Klan from yeah. an African American man who is raping her or attempting to rape her. It creates two tropes in American cinema. One of this evil, overarching African American male who is out to attack white women specifically. And two, it creates this notion, anti feminist notion of a damsel in distress who needs saving by these heroic white sheeted guys coming in to, to save her. Uh, the movie was hailed as, and is still in some cinema classes. It was when I was in college, actually, hailed as this great piece of, of cinema. And it's, it's just not. Uh, maybe there was some technological advances, but the the ideas advanced in this movie, even for the time, were specifically designed as propaganda pieces for the Ku Klux Klan. Definitely. And, propaganda. Yeah, go ahead. Great. Uh, yeah. Just, no, no. Just definitely, definitely uh, a giant, a giant piece of propaganda that was utilize, utilizing the the fact that motion pictures were new and people would go to see a film. Uh, regardless if it was what the content was, but because it was of interest and it was supposed to be entertaining. And it was only spurred on by Woodrow Wilson's racism, which a lot of people are learning about right now as the Mm -hmm. president of the United States. Also, as the movement picked up in the uh, 20s, the Ku Klux Klan pretty much came to its... uh, it was its largest in the 1924 presidential election. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan brought the Democratic uh, convention to a standstill and actually forced out the main candidate they were supporting and got a candidate that got destroyed uh, by Calvin Coolidge of the Republican Party in 1924. But Calvin Coolidge also had roots in the Klan. He wasn't a Klan member by any means, but in the late 19... in uh, 1920, when he's running for vice president in 1919, he ran on a platform of law and order. And if you're paying attention to politics right now, you know that the terms law and order often are used to, well, subjugate others and claim that a certain state of being should exist. Also, in Colorado specifically, there were signs that said candidate, call it Calvin Coolidge, all spelled in K's, KKK, and you can pick that out uh, pretty easily to understand how that worked. So, in 1924, though, the Klan, it's at its peak. They controlled most of Indiana, most of the South. Uh, most of the delegates from Washington State and Oregon, where Greg and I grew up, were uh, in the Democratic National Convention, were Klan members. And so people like to think of this Klan as a Southern thing, but it's really not just a Southern thing. The Klan had tentacles all over the United States. And um, and fortunately, uh, one of the leaders of the Klan, uh, D.C. Stevenson, who was the Grand Dragon of the Klan, I believe. Uh, he was in Indiana, and he murdered a his girlfriend slash prostitute on a train, got into a major national trial, and it basically sp- spelled the end of that movement for a time. Mm-hmm. Really great it, guys. It's it's it sound they sound like just the cream of the crop now I, from what you're saying though it feels like and it sounds like if we are not careful history will repeat itself not that yeah. <laughs> well uh, or is repeating itself it's repeating. So, we're, it, we're on a loop 
Yeah, and and the clan. So, and just as a side note, I I did extensive research on the twenties and regressive social movements uh, for part of my PhD work, and the clans. What's known as what we call a revivalistic social movement. They prey on this notion that the world was better before it is now, and we need to revive what was great. Like we like need to make America great again. It was never great. <laughs> not and but yeah we are in the midst like the trump campaign was very much a revivalistic social movement in the sense that the exact slogan was make america great again and keep mm -hmm. those foreigners away from our our soil by putting up a wall right mm -hmm. yeah and calling people rapists and yeah from other countries right like mm -hmm. and it's not just that but there's tentacles of this all over i mean i'm not going to just pick on donald trump Bill Clinton's campaign of law and order throughout his presidency and three strikes and you're out was very much a form of this. Mm -hmm. Like we need to go back to a time where we're protecting people from the crack epidemic or this epidemic, or we have a war on this and don't even get me started on the war on drugs, right? Like these things all take on this sort of revivalistic notion and they miss the point of the actual issues at hand, right? Mm -hmm. um, that racism is real, it's happening. And when racism is enacted in policy, it creates economic disparity and discrimination. So now we're in this sort of world where how do we take this on? And how can people get a voice on it? And in, we need to look to a hero. We need to look to a hero. And in 1946, the Superman old time radio show, as we call it now, but then it would, of course, just be the Superman radio show. Despite possibly losing sponsors in the sponsors, despite having their sponsor Kellogg's, who was attacked, um, Kellogg's pep cereal, as I was joking about earlier, and uh, their dog food, which I'm trying to remember the brand of, but I will certainly be seeking it out for my pup. Uh, it was it was something pup. Tasty pup. Tasty yeah. pups. Tasty pup. Uh, and. Yeah, if you listen to these, but, you know, it was a big deal for the Superman radio show to take on the clan of the Fiery Cross, as they called it in the episodes at the time, because they risked losing airtime across the South at the time. And it was oh, also right. timely in the sense that it there's basically three waves of the clan. You had the original clan, the teen, 19 teens and 20s clan, and then you had the civil rights era clan, right, that, mm -hmm. you know, was lynching people in the South. And then of course, now you have now the current, right? the current situation. So I would right? argue the fourth wave of uh, white, white supremacist thought in the United States. I mean, we're currently living in, uh, we're living in the purge. fourth wave. We're, we're, yeah. we're living in the first purge. Yeah. In, in the movie. And if we're in the movie series, it'd be, it'd be not the first purge movie, but the first purge. Let's just forget the first purge movie, but yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. And so, <laughs> the the when you're looking at it too it was it was a this was a huge deal uh for them to take on and we're going to review these this we're not going to go episode by episode but we're going to review the basic oh. plot and talk about some of the the successes and pitfalls but yeah. even as we get into the pitfalls i want to stress how one you need to look at 1946 radio shows as a piece of their time yes and two you have to look at the fact that they were specifically fighting an institution after World War II finished that they didn't want 
coming back up into the country, right? So you have soldiers coming home, women had moved to the workplace and now we're now being displaced by the soldiers coming home. But now you have like the foreign menace, so to speak, right? After World War II is gone, right? That's mm-hmm. gone. And now you turn on each other. So who's taking my job? Who's there that's not supposed to be? Who was successful while I was gone? And so after war, you're ripe for racism because as people return, they believe that something was taken from them. Mm -hmm. And people craft an other or somebody else to punish for taking that thing from them. You're hearing that now, right? Yeah, you're, you, they, people will create a, a monster or a fear, and they will become fear mongers themselves of of the things that they're they don't know anything about, or the thing that they that they've created the boogeyman, you know, their own their own special boogeyman, whatever it is. And the, and the worst people in the neighbor world. next door. <laughs> yep, and the worst people in the world are the ones that profit off that fear, or yep. become president. So. Yep. Yeah, let's get into this before I, you know, get too much more into that. I would say let's keep it light, but it's really hard to keep it light on an episode (laughs) such as this. And 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 I mean, this will be one of those episodes where I'm I'm going to put the I'm going to I'm going to say it now before we get into it, folks. If you've been listening to Dan and I for a while, uh, this is going to be this is going to be one of those episodes where you get a glimpse behind the mics where this is Dan and Greg hanging out, eating dinner and having a conversation <laughs> and serious real conversations and yeah. we're not gonna we're not pulling punches and, and that's the whole thing we, we greg and i talked a little bit before this started and i he said you know listen to yourself don't you know he didn't tell me not to pull punches but it's just like hey we're not I, i'm just gonna say it as it is yeah and you know the biggest bastards in history are some of these folks that are the villains in these episodes which is great Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, I, it's, I like that they're villains, right? Like, yeah. cool. So let's 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 jump in. Let's do so this. We have the we have episode one, and we are learning all about Jimmy Olsen, the character created for the radio show. I might add. Yeah, and yeah. what's Jimmy doing, Greg? He's he's well, he's excited. He is getting the ball team together. He is the he's the manager of the Unity House Baseball Club. And they're gonna play a big like they got a new pitcher coming in. He's he is a smoking arm. They're gonna play this game, and oh, it is gonna be good. He's telling Clark, Mr. Kent, all about everything. He's so excited. But Jimmy, didn't you tell me about a different pitcher who was on your team before? Oh, he, that guy, I mean, he's good and all, but this new pitcher, he is, he's, he's the business. I mean, he's got the arm. He's, he's, I mean, he's just good. He's really good. So we had to, I mean, we had to tell the other guy he could, you know, pitch, pitch relief, but uh, this new guy, he's the guy. Oh, so basically the old guy pitches for the Mariners and the new guy pitches for the Astros. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. I feel that. All right. Truth. <laughs> so, Hashtag yeah, truth. It, it starts out, and we find out that you know uh, we meet we meet Tommy Lee, who's the new pitcher, and the Lee family had just moved into Metropolis. Uh, Tommy's dad is a virologist and had just gotten a new job. Viro- and virologist in a big city, the big right city. Out, yeah, I mean, in in, in New York, yeah, yeah. Um, sounds like a I great mean, job to well, have. I, I mean, wish this Dr. Lee was around funny. here now. Yeah, right now. A virologist. That's what we need. So 
we've got Dr. Lee and Tommy and their family moved in. And I hear he's we, a really good drummer too. <laughs> and, and then we learn about Chuck Riggs, who was the old pitcher. And yeah. he, he's kind of got a hot head though. He's kind of a jerk. Um, oh yeah. He, he gets in there in batting practice and he, uh, I don't know. These kids are pretty tough. I, uh, as a little leaguer, was stood as far away from the plate as possible. This guy um, was I, crowded. <laughs> well, I, I actually, Ryan Longwell, the former kicker in the NFL, was on my little league team. Oh, yeah. And and he was one of our pitchers. And uh, we also had, like, the middle linebacker for our high school football team. Uh, <laughs> Wayne was on our team. And those oh, guys man. threw hard. And... Uh, uh, they hit me a lot because I have no athletic ability. So I, I got hit by baseballs a lot in practice. And I, I didn't stand up on the plate. But, you know, Chuck was going to stand right over the plate and basically make Tommy hit him with the ball. Yeah, he was he was crowding on, pur- on purpose. He was he was standing there with a, uh, a, a he was doing it in defiance. He was doing it. So he gets hit in the head, gets knocked out. Um, seems like a good strategy. And uh, based on what we've learned about concussions now, that may explain a lot about what happened to him and the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, he he goes home and he starts talking to his uncle. Uh, uncle, uh, uncle. Uncle Matt. Matt yeah. Uncle Matt. Matt Riggs. Uncle Matt, I believe. Yeah. Somebody uncle can correct Matt. us later when you listen no, to uncle, all 16 episodes. It's Uncle and, Matt. Uh, uncle Matt, apparently... Uh, wants to use Chuck's story so he can go to his special secret meeting with all of his friends that wear hoods and they go to a meeting and they burn a giant cross there. Well, he, he asked, he asked, um, Chuck, if, if could, do you think it was on purpose? Do you think he was trying to kill you? Yeah. Like, no, no. (laughs) Chuck's like, no, 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 I was just mad at him. I was being a jerk. Yeah. And, and his uh, his uncle's like, well, what does his dad do? And, and it comes out that his dad is Dr. Lee and and Dr. Lee, the the virologist, uh, you know, he, he just has has moved into town and, and taken taken one of uh, Matt's friends jobs. And so Matt, you know, Breitbart's the message out to his friends in the fiery cl- uh, clan of the fiery cross, changes the story completely and uh, makes it a makes it a story about a Chinese boy hitting an American boy with a baseball on purpose. A young fatherless American boy. Ah, that's right. Young and fatherless. I forgot. Yep. He was young fatherless American boy was hit in the head and tried and, and an attempted murder was done by a foreigner. These, these vile foreigners who, you know, we need to, to have America be about America and it needs to be a white America and it needs to be about America. In fact, like, like I said, it, it, it needs to go back to that great time from before. Yeah. Was it though? (laughs) And so all of the fiery cross clan decides that they're going to they, the clan they, of the fiery cross, I should say. Sorry, don't want to get their name wrong. I wouldn't want to insult them. No, not, uh, not insult them at all. Boo. Not, not. They decide that they're going to go after. It sounds. It, it almost sounds like every time you say it, I, it, I hear it. The clan of the fiery cross in my head. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and sorry. So, now that's stuck in your head. No, and and one thing we do learn early on is Jimmy and and Clark have a conversation about yeah. the clan of the fiery cross. They. 
introduce them to the audience, which is very important um, because at this time, uh, not everyone knew who the clan was yeah. and or didn't know what they were, right? Because or, as I mentioned before, they would go to cities and, and this is how they would set themselves up. Like they set themselves up in Denver, Colorado as going into the city and basically supplanting the police force. So they, they went in and said, hey, um, we're going to create law and order here. This is the lawless West. We're going to give you a police force. And basically the Klan infiltrated the police force. Well, if you lived in Denver and the Klan came in and said, hey, we're going to take care of you and keep you safe, that sounds like a pretty good message. And then later they would add the small part about like, well, only for white Protestant people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds very nice until you, you know, add the racism and the hate. Yeah. And I I find it interesting too, like that. uh, I I, I like that every time uh, Clark, you, you like talks about them he calls them mobsters and it terrorists it yeah well and yeah. and that's what a mobster is there's somebody that goes in and offers you protection but for a price and that price is your you know your humanism <laughs> and and well and the other piece too that i i found throughout the story as we keep going through is in the very first episode clark says that they are a mobster and a terrorist group and that we need to stamp them out everywhere, not just in the United States, but racism needs to be stamped out in the world. Mm-hmm. And that America is about freedom. And generally, uh, the, the two main male characters in the story, Clark and Perry White, uh, on the heroic side, I should say, mm-hmm. consistently repeat the message through all 16 episodes is that, that one, America is a place where everybody should be able to worship where they want to, and two you get that race doesn't matter. Right. And, and they, this is continually repeated throughout the episodes. It doesn't uh, matter where you're from, how yeah. you worship. And, and I find it, you know, and, and it's uh, uh, interesting uh, coming off the heels of world war two. Yep. That we start, and then it needs to be stamped out everywhere. I mean, those were the words, right? It needs mm-hmm. to be stamped out everywhere. And so, it's interesting. I remember place this in time, 1946. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still yeah. seeing that now. Right. Yeah. And it hasn't happened. So, yeah. you know, we get to put it in place in time. Well, we get the great and triumphant, uh, clan of the fiery cross, uh, creates a gang goes to Dr. Lee's house, uh, the virologist, the father of Tommy Lee, and they burn a cross in their yard. Because uh, they're great people. Because that's and, yeah, they, that, they're that, that's what inst- you do if you're racist assholes. And they're trying to instill that fear and and show Mr. Lee and his family that they're uh, they're not wanted in the in the town. So Mr. So Dr. Lee decides that he's going to pack his family up and leave. Uh, Clark Kent uh, and Jimmy talk them out of it. Uh, they encourage them to stay. And Tommy, uh, his son, wants to stay and play baseball. And talks about how much he loves it here. And I kind of like this, Greg. We were talking before the yeah. podcast. Like, I, I sort of looked at it. I don't think they ever say it in the story, but I sort of looked at Dr. Lee as he he immigrated from China, and then Tommy was like a, a first was born in the U.S. like a 
uh, first generation American, right? Yeah. Did you see it the same way or did you see it um, differently? Okay. So myself and for the listeners uh, who don't know me, yeah, you can look at a picture of me and I look very passing Anglo white guy, but I do come from an Asian American family. Uh, so I can see from this, from this perspective. And I like Dan's question because uh, my grandmother is from Japan. She is a fresh off the boat, FOB, Japanese woman. My mom grew up mainly in Japan, but on a military base, and then grew up a majority of her life here in the States. Uh, so she had a very Americanized life. And uh, she she looked Japanese, but very much came across very Americanized, uh, very much like I had imagined uh, this father and this son, right? So you've got uh, Dr. Lee very much uh, from China and probably has uh, uh, an accent and uh, maybe even mannerisms that would be seen, you know, just very, very Asian, uh, much like my grandmother. But, you know, you got you got his son who is who is very much he's Tommy Lee. He's an American kid. He wants to play baseball. He likes he you know, he he likes apple pie. He does all these things that all his friends are doing and doesn't doesn't even think a different thought when you think about it, you know. And, uh, and yeah, I could see it that way. And, uh, and growing up in a household like, like that myself, um, with, uh, you know, with, with my, with my folks and, and, you know, my grandma and stuff like that, I, um, that's kind of, yeah, it's a weird, it's, 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 it's an interesting, um, lens to look at it through. And also too, the story, uh, for me is a little different. So as we discuss it, I'll, I'll definitely have a, 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 a tidbit here and there that are slightly, you know, yeah, just different, <laughs> but yeah. Well, and I think it's fair too, because, you know, with our perspectives, right, we're inherently going to look at the story differently Yeah. in some aspects uh, because I just don't have the same shared experience that Greg has. Uh, so, and, uh, and I, it was interesting that we saw that part in the same way and I'll, it'll be interesting to see like where the difference is, how we see it differently throughout the rest of the story too, because I know when we were talking before, we saw a couple of things a little bit differently too. So, yeah. well, I, I find that you're, you're, you're pointing out to like when, uh, you know, just like how, uh, the, the clan or, you know, uh, racism and whatnot is not just a Southern thing, but you can see it elsewhere too. I mean, growing up in the town that we grew up in, uh, when, when we were younger, uh, my appearance and stuff like that, uh, when looking at me, I, I don't present very Asian, but if you meet my family, it's very, it's a very different experience. Right. So going into school, uh, when, when my dad would drop me off, it's one thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, I go into junior high and it's a different experience when I go to the new junior high and my mom comes in for, for cultural day and everyone all of a sudden now has a bunch of new nicknames for me. So <laughs> experiencing, uh, a very similar experience to what Tommy Lee experiences in the story. Is- yeah. And to, well, and to speak to, you know, growing up in the same town, uh, going to some of the same schools, 
like as a kid, I didn't meet another African-American person until I was in or meet an African-American person until I believe I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And that should just tell you a lot about the community that we lived in. And yep. <laughs> the, the interesting part is that community had over 55,000 people in it. Yeah. So it wasn't a small community, but definitely uh, not racially diverse. And it wasn't a racially diverse community until we had a a silicon or a microchip factory. And so that diversified our community a lot later on, but that wasn't until I was in junior high. And so uh, the the things that Greg speaks to were very, uh, just it's like anyone who was different was criticized in our community. Mm -hmm. It, it, It just was that way. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, and, and not saying that, like, I wouldn't have experienced that in other places, you know, I mean, like moving, moving from where we moved to, to here, I, I grew up in a very predominantly Latin uh, area. And uh, growing up in that area, it's it, I, the irony is, is I, I also do I fit into that that culture having latin family as well <laughs> like I, I i i fit in past there but i also that's not really necessarily where i where i belong if you will as i've been told <laughs> but <laughs> well i think that is it i mean to say too like i mean you stress like it's not just a southern thing too right yeah like this is uh, as i pointed out too right you know back in 1924 the entire Washington state delegation and Oregon delegation were Klan members Yeah, to the democratic national convention. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very interesting when you, I mean, and there's, and, and you can drive around and see like there are, um, there, there's, I, I want to say there's like three monuments in the Northwest. And so, you know, kind of looking at this from the perspective, then, you know, their choice of characters, right. With Dr. Lee, and Jimmy moving to the city is very true to your experience growing up, right? Yeah. I mean, you uh, you, you go off and you you find something that you enjoy, baseball uh, or whatever it is, and you uh, you try to fit in with the rest of the kids that you that you get along with, and then you know either either you do or something like this happens. <laughs> but well, generally, you make friends. <laughs> And before we get even further into the story, I just, I, I want to ask you, I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, Greg. no, go ahead. Um, so as a writer, right? Yeah. And so we have folks here that are making very specific choices, right? They yeah. they chose uh, to have a Chinese family move into the community. They chose to write about the Ku Klux Klan. They choose to have the Ku Klux Klan attack that family directly. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you're writing characters, right, with mm-hmm. your lived experience, how do you approach uh, developing, like in your book, Junior Braves of the Apocalypse, you have a, a very racially diverse cast. Like, how did you develop that cast? And what was your inspiration as a writer, right, for for people of a different race or culture that you weren't familiar with? Like, how did you gain the knowledge to write about those characters? So that's a great question. I think uh, as far as like when you're developing characters for a story, you want, you know that you're, you're telling a story uh, one for your readers, you want them to be engaged and you want to engage your readers or whoever's 
your audience, right? Whatever that, whatever, however that story is being put out there, if it's being read, if it's being viewed or listened to, you want your, your audience to be engaged and you want your audience to, to attach themselves to characters. And you know that you're going to do that by bringing in characters that have varying, uh, likenesses to those people and or like abilities uh that they can that they can follow along with and and and, and watch them grow right uh or i mean characteristics and whatnot that are that are likable and or characteristics that that um you can see change and grow with that with that character uh how did how did we get such a diverse ca- cast um, well, I was fortunate enough to work with a, a great team of people. Uh, we had, we all had various and varying, uh, experiences growing up with different groups of kids. And, uh, I would say my moving around and then being part of different activities put me in contact with, uh, my parents realized that our small community wasn't going to be the place where I was going to get the most uh, growth if I was going to grow as a person sometimes. So they took me uh, to other places to go and uh, do scouting and other stuff like that. So, or, you know, explorers and whatnot. So I was doing stuff out in Tacoma where there was a, a bigger, more diverse group of kids uh, that I could be involved with and, and, uh, share those experiences with uh, the same with the team of the junior braves. They all grew up with different kids and growing up with those different kids, you get those different experiences uh, as we were building our characters for those, for the building up those characters. We we're looking at those experiences and those, those people that touched our lives and brought them into those, into those characters uh, and helped them helped us tell the story through them, if you will. Uh, one of the things too, that also helped was getting, if, if we needed a certain voice, uh, and we might not have been the best person to tell that story with that voice, uh, we definitely went to people who we could get them to help us form that character's voice. Uh, i.e. meaning if we didn't have that experience or, weren't of that culture. We wanted to make sure that we we're having somebody check that over and read through what we we're creating so that it would be genuine and not a fabrication. Because I think that's important and you want people to be reading and enjoying something that is real or at least 90% as close to Mark as you can. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how, when I read your writing, how even though like this piece, uh, if you listen to the script, there's some issues in it and we're going to get into a major one in a second, but how the characters in the story that interact with, with other cultures, right? Yeah. So the the next phase is Dr. Lee's house get attacked. They, They encourage him to stay. And then Perry White, of course, the editor of the Daily Planet, writes a series of editorials just attacking the Ku Klux Klan, right? I mean, the, oh, the Klan of the Fire. He Cross. lights them up. He lights he lights the Fiery Cross Clan up. He he's like coming after him. And, with and a sword. It, it, 
it's interesting because like and he and it's and he's threatened and there's a number of editorials like he's going after them and <laughs> and and you hear things in you know there's there's idea of like being a white savior right like you're gonna protect people or things like that i didn't get this vibe from the story the way it was written i i got the vibe that it i got the more of an outrage vibe like i found this out I'm outraged by this and I'm going to use every piece of, you know, in today's vernacular privilege I have to fight. Yeah. And he was being an advocate. Was, he was, and yeah, and not, not even having that vernacular or, or that advancement mm-hmm. in the study of race in the United States as it's come to now, right? There's so many advances in it, understanding, understanding how things work mm-hmm. from an institutional level and tearing down those institutions and here we had the, one of the main characters in the story just destroying this other institution in the best way he could mm-hmm. yeah i mean with he was he was utilizing every every aspect of and every tool at his disposal and eventually uh Clark tries to protect them. Of course, he can't tell them he's Superman, so he keeps encouraging Perry to not go out by on his own. Yeah, and he's, and of course Perry does it anyway because he's not going to be scared of these bullies and fear mongers. And so him and Jimmy leave, and they get captured for like it seemed like eighteen episodes, but it was a sixteen episode serial. It was um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so at this point, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let everyone in on a on a bit here is. I'm listening to this uh, throughout my day, and I think this is where I clicked on the wrong episode. So I went from Clark telling them not to go anywhere to an episode far further in the story. And I'm like, what happened? (laughs) Because I was very I was I was thrown for a loop. Not surprised that certain things happened, but very thrown for a loop. (laughs) I think the big thing too is uh, when you're looking at the story and how it progressed, uh, Perry and Jimmy are captured and they're held for yeah. a long time. Um, and, and they do point out a couple of things too, because uh, Perry's editorials also highlight the clan taking Tommy and trying to kill him. Oh yeah, they were going to tar him and feather him. They they had kidnapped him. They tried to blow him up on a bicycle. They, they, they broke they, his arm. They broke his arm. They they, they did so edge. many things to this kid. And and, and I did. Go and, ahead. And, Sorry. Well, no. I what I find interesting though is like obviously like so, uh, old Uncle Riggs here, uh, Matt Riggs. He's you know he's the the what the grand. Uh, um, grand scorpion the grand I'm sorry, wizard i was gonna call him the grand salamander because grand salamander. It doesn't rate uh anyways he uh he he's like the one of the guys like he's just a kid you're gonna kill a kid like he actually like has a moment of like like whoa are we gonna do this and he's like i don't care maybe they'll get the message across to him and it's like whoa this guy's like totally cracking and this is like five episodes in six episodes in and you start to see this guy's like just his mental state deteriorate. Yeah, and they well, and the other thing too is I think you see their mental states deteriorate. You see 
the absolute poison that this causes, right? And mm-hmm. people being so blinded by hate that they'll do anything. I also think it was and important and that they got information about the clan and inside information and used it in the story, you know, and so they used the hoods. Mm-hmm. They talked about tarring and feathering. They were using specific grotesque and absurd practices of the clan to illustrate how terrible they were. Yeah. And they didn't pull any punches here. No. Like they, they talked about real life things that were happening. And I think it's one of the reasons the story had so much impact across all of society, because you look at this, who wants to be part of a group that would tar and feather people? A child. But I mean, I mean, to people, yes, but they put it, they, I mean, they, they hunt this child in the woods because he plays baseball, he plays baseball better than this other guy's nephew. And for his dad is his dad actually has the degree for the job that they tried to use the political machine of New York. I mean, of Metropolis to get the guy. Oh, and they're Chinese, right? So they use Tammany Hall. They didn't get it done, and the guy's Chinese, and he gets the job because he's qualified. And now we're mad at him. Yeah, I. And there's just so much here historically. If you don't know Tammany Hall, look it up. I, I'm probably not going to derail us on this part of the podcast. The, the but. thing is that there's so, like I said, there's this is a very juicy topic. There's so much stuff to sink your teeth into if you really want a history lesson on a lot of things and stuff. You could Dan could take you down a, a road. We literally talked for an hour before we started recording, and that's no joke about what we were going to talk about. <laughs> and, and making sure we stayed on point too, because yeah. again, like I sent Greg a what 24 page paper that I wrote yes. about the clan in this era. And it's, it's so bad. Um, so it's, a, it's an amazing they're, document. They're, they're bastards. They're terrible people. Like it, I, I cannot express to you how dangerous and horrible these revivalistic social movements are. Um, so let's keep fighting against it. Uh, yeah. It's the only so, way that we will in our way continue, yeah. well, and continue as a, as a good society. You want to make things great again, be better people. And we see that in Chuck. So Chuck Riggs, uh, Perry White's captured. Uh, Chuck finds out about Tommy. He is remorseful and he gets on the phone and he tries to call Clark Kent to tell him what's happened and what his uncle has done after he sees this meeting and yeah, of course he's like five more episodes as the phone call gets interrupted. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you got to remember too, at the time, I mean, it's not just like he had a cell phone. He could just like flip open or a phone at the house. He had to go to a drugstore and use the pay phone because that's the only way to do it. And it was a communal phone that everyone was trying to use. So it was a, it was a task. This kid was and, like going out on a limb talking in public about this stuff. And, and if you want to think of him as little league age, so we're looking at, what, 11, 12 years old, yeah. he's scared to death of his uncle. His, yeah. You find out in the story that his mom lives in his uncle's house. Her husband had died. They're living, so she's living in her brother-in-law's house, and he's there, and he's absolutely scared to screw this up for her, to screw this up for his family. And now, you know, you'll very soon in the story, his uncle threatens him after he tries to make the phone call. Uh, And so he's threatened with his life. And so what happens in the story is 
basically Perry's been captured. Jimmy's been captured. Uh, Chuck can't say anything. And so Clark pens a letter to the newspaper to seek out the boy that called him. He's looking for the strong young man. And they go on a search for, for him. And you get your two, uh, you get focus on two female characters in this part. We do hear from Lois Lane in this story, but only once. Only uh, once. Just a side note, if, if you've looked at Lois Lane from the perspective of, say, the 50s and 60s stories in the Silver Age, or even, I would say, even sort of Terry Hatcher's portrayal, the, the Lois Lane of, of now, of, I should say, I mean, of 1946, yeah. is like a feminist icon. She's amazing. Yeah, she's she pretty is, tough as nails. She's tough as nails. She's a woman working in a world dominated by men. Uh, Clark interrupts her to uh, tell her about what's happening, and she tells him to leave him alone. She's writing a story right now. She's busy working. Yeah, I mean, she's I mean, she's just coming off the heels of, of World War Two and she's holding on a job that, like you said, she's in a in a world dominated by men. And and, and for those who are who are new to this era uh, of the story, I mean, this is and and of this era, this is this is not the norm. Right. I mean, when when the men came back, a lot of these women lost their jobs back to those men. So she's holding it down. She's trying to keep this job. She, she's got to compete and she's got to do everything she can to make sure she's, you know, got that edge. So yeah, Clark hit the bricks, kick rocks. And DC comics, DC comics sort of got it right. Recently, they let Greg Rucka write a Lois Lane, uh, 12 issue series. It's been phenomenal. Uh, and I think they pulled the character back. I saw good portions of the character in the Smallville, uh, television show too, uh, of Lois. I, I think, I think sometimes they get her right. And uh, honestly, too, I like the Lois in the Superman movie in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Clark, go get me a cheeseburger and an orange juice. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> like, uh, so I, I, I found uh, if, we, if we get rid of the weird poem where she's talking about flying in the sky with Superman, like yeah. everything else, I'm like totally on board with what was going on um, with that portrayal of the character. So she's just a badass. And I... I think that played true to the time. And, and then the other character that pushes the story along is Chuck's mom. Oh yeah. And so, she's, she's like a Jiminy cricket, if you will. Yeah. Uh, she, she reads the story in the newspaper, Greg, and what happens? Like she, she's like, Whoa, this kid better reach out to super, to, to Clark Kent. And you know, well, she's kind of, she's, she's in that, that frame of mind. And then when, when Chuck is like, Oh, I'm thinking about that, that kid that, you know, they're trying to reach. And she, and she's, she tells him what she thinks he should do. And it's like the, the wheel start, you can, you know, visually, obviously this is all told over, you know, over words and stuff like that. But you can, you can visually see this young man's brain clicking those cogs. And he's like, Oh yeah, I got to do this thing because that's the right thing to do. And, you know, I could see him nodding along like, yeah, yeah. And and maybe she, she inherently knows that this is her son's story and that this is her moment to tell him to do the right thing. You know, I thought, I thought that I I saw it differently and Uh, I think I saw it even better. Right. Oh yeah. Because I think, I don't think she knew it was her son. And I think it makes it stronger because okay. she says, I'm, I would be ashamed oh, yeah. 
to have a son that would not stand up to this, even if their life was threatened, even if my livelihood was threatened. Like the racism is so bad that I would be, I would not want you in my house. I would be ashamed of you. And I I saw it a little bit differently because I don't think she, because the story led me to believe later, and we'll cover this in a second. She finds out about Matt, her brother-in-law a little bit later in the story. And I thought they illustrated that. Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe we saw it a little bit differently, but I guess to me, it spoke to me even stronger I see, because I, I felt like the writers took an intentional path there again to have another character yeah, yeah. react to racism bluntly and correctly, right? See, she reads I, the article and she's like, this is terrible. And Chuck asks her the question. She'd be like, I'd be ashamed to have a racist son. See, and, and this is and this is where I'm going to say our upbringing might be uh, what caused this difference in, in how we see it, because I'm coming from the all knowing Asian mom that like sees through all the bullshit and like, oh, no, you dumb little shit. You better fucking make a thing. You better call, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I know it's you. <laughs> and and, uh, and that and, and that's kind of like, you know, that's 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 why that's kind of where I'm, where I, how I see it. But that's, that's my own, I'm putting my own, my own perspective on it. But yeah, I no. think that's fair. Mom, if you ever listen to this, I'm not picking on you, I promise. But I think the, uh, we learn in the story in a second that, that, you know, well, we learned before this, that, that Matt has been threatening Chuck and thinks that Chuck maybe was trying to, to tell on him. And I was, I had more of the mom that told you she could see me everywhere. Uh-huh. Right. To see you uh, everywhere. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, Jack. I think yeah. I told you this. Yeah. Like, okay. Don't don't get chocolate milk at school, Danny, because I'll know yeah. if you get chocolate milk. <laughs> so that was more of my mom. You're like, I, I know what you're doing. Uh, and so it was a little bit different there yeah, and yeah. in our upbringings. But yeah, I mean, I think either way, it shows the strength of the character. Oh, yeah. And you even see her strength. Uh, we'll get to it in a couple minutes. Uh, as we see Matt unravel here in the story, um, oh, man, he comes you'll see off her strength of, again. So when that, that wing nut starts unscrewing, there's no putting it back on. Yeah. So Superman eventually finds Jimmy and Perry. He flies Chuck around and, and they go and they, they get Jimmy and Perry. Everybody's safe. And then Matt, the grand scorpion goes to meet with the grand Poobah scorpion. Yeah. And he's like, they they sit they have their little sit down and and he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Did anybody follow you? You know what kind of trouble you're bringing me? You know, it's it's very much like you messed up. Why are you why are you even bothering me? And then what we find out is that the Grand Poobah Scorpion or the head is more like running a corporation. He's asking Matt, did he make money? off the sale of the robes. What do you do with it? Of course he kept it. And then he basically tells Matt that all of this is fake and he can't believe he fell for it. Yeah. He's been drinking the Kool-Aid and this is just like, you know, the biggest scammeroo this side of the Mississippi or this side of the Mason Dixon line. And he basically tells Matt that he's running a corporate operation to make money off of fear and hatred yes so it's just like a giant pyramid scheme of hate and fear it's almost as if like you had a whole bunch of people say 
write things on Twitter about boogaloos and then go out and terrorize people in public while you're making money off Twitter ads and videos on YouTube. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, they're not robes, but, you know, it's the same thing. And then, and then you could even sell them, like, buckets just... of prepper stuff and turmeric and vitamins. I mean, if that's what they're buying. I thought it was silver. Is it silver this week? Oh, no, it's that the silver you drink, right? And then oh, it's silver like, yeah. will heal yeah. you. But not too much, or it'll turn you blue. Yeah, we hear you, Alex Jones. You're a fucker, and we don't like you. So it's cool. All right. Turd burglar. Greg, I'm getting a little animated this episode, but it's you know, right. this just brings up all the terrible people in society no, all at once. It's 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 good though. I mean, it, it's good because I mean this is probably gonna be one of those 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 things that either brings people to us or takes people away from us. And those who go away, we didn't really watch anyway. Uh, I mean, if, if you're, if you're losing, if, if you're leaving cause you, cause you, cause you like racism, then uh, deuces. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was nice, <laughs> nice seeing you. Um, cause we ain't going to pull punches later either. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how, we're looking at today's society and the scam artists that are out there promoting hate to sell crap like fake vitamins and, yeah. and stuff. Oh, hate and, and fear and, and just and like fear. And they're yeah. using fear to do it, right? Yeah. Abject fear. Well, like, I mean, they, they we, took Rush Limbaugh and said, Rush Limbaugh didn't go far enough. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I, and, 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 and just like, I mean, like at the beginning of, uh, of things, uh, I want to say uh, about a month or so ago when you started to hearing, hearing things and uh, oh, people are coming into these communities and stuff. And uh, it's one of those things where you, you look around and you're like, that, that can't be this, the, these, these tweets can't be real. <laughs> and if you believe this kind of stuff, you can't, you you should really get your head checked out. <laughs> but when you have the leader of the free world advocating for a revivalist state to make America great again, it allows everyone to create their own reality, which is their great America. And you can sell hate like you create that person to, to be against. And that's why, like, the other thing I'm I want to reflect on is I, I'm obviously attacking racist people. Right. But I would also attack those that, like I said, just became woke or said, you know, the world's never been like this before or said there's never been conflict like this. Like sides of the spectrum haven't fought each other like it's right here. We just we just listened to a 16 episode serial showing us that there were two sides of this story and they were adamantly against each other. Literally, there was a war in Europe and in Asia. For a decade that so these these fights are difficult <laughs> yeah these fights are difficult and it's not the first time in history this has happened folks like yeah. and you need to be paying attention and you need to be acting out in, in your way like the best way you can and if that's calling out somebody who's racist great and if that's actively marching good for you 
and whatever you can do. And I don't judge anybody for what they do in that regard, because, hey, um, punch a Nazi, you know, like, <laughs> it's okay. So I got my now, Captain America book right here. <laughs> yeah. So now we're on to uh, now we're on to we got our meeting with the Grand Scorpion. Uh, Matt, after that meeting starts to unravel, he decides he's going to kill everyone, yep. everyone being Perry White. Perry White, Jimmy and his nephew. He's going to ice his nephew because his nephew can tie him back to everything. But of course, on the way home, uh, he goes home and abuses his his brother's wife, yep. uh, grabs her, knocks her to the floor, demands to know where her son is, and she stands up to him the whole time uh, Not back in the face of abuse, which I, I had some problems with this. Okay. I, 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 I don't really care what the era is. Um, I don't like abusing women to get a point in the story yeah. across. Oh yeah. Uh, this, I, this I been... think there are other ways to do that. Um, yeah. On the flip side, the way it was written, I admired the hell out of somebody who would face a bully mm-hmm. And tell that bully that under no circumstances would she give in to his hatred. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm 100% with you. This has been a discussion in our house, in my house, uh, when watching TV shows, movies, reading books, uh, a discussion on other podcasts about other other films uh, or or media that that depict this type of thing. Uh, sometimes there's just no reason to 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 utilize uh, that type of violence. Uh, to, to drive a story. It doesn't, doesn't bring that you don't need it for your narrative. If you think you do, you really need to rethink how you tell stories or rethink why you're telling a story uh, because it's not necessary. You can do a lot better. You can be better. Yeah. And, and playing devil's advocate for a quick second, at least sure. it fit the flow of the story. So it wasn't out of nowhere. It would logically make sense for him to return to his house search for his nephew and interrogate his nephew's mother. So I, it it makes sense in the story. I didn't like how far they took it necessarily, but at least it fit into the flow. So I can't say that it was an illogical action. It's not like he just went out and Mm -hmm. hit somebody for no reason. Uh, So I will give the writers that piece back, but yeah, uh, not, not my favorite part of the story. And, and yet it's, and it's easy for, for, us as as the people who are reviewing something uh in with our scope from our current current times and and our our better understandings of how things can be done and should be done to to look at it from that way uh but as you know as they're telling the story and you're seeing this person's unraveling uh you're you're right he is the kind of person uh depicted character wise that would act out this way and um you know it could have been done uh a number of ways but yeah you're right it 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 fit the flow so uh we get to the end of the story um matt goes out to kill everybody at the baseball game chuck pitches the baseball game he's super nervous uh superman foils him captures all the bullets before they hit everybody they win the baseball game unity house is successful uh, 
Perry White gives them all gold baseballs because apparently Perry White is the richest person on the planet or gold wasn't as valuable as it is now. Even though I think it was illegal to whole own gold at that point, but let's not get into the fine points of the story here. Uh, but you know what? Perry White doesn't care. Air. He's and uh, I think that the neat part, uh, Chuck uh, is is a new ally and he's afraid to talk about it. He wants to give his gold baseball to Tommy, who can't pitch. Jimmy says it for him because he's scared, intimidated, and he doesn't want to sound like he did something right, right? He knows he did something wrong. And so yeah. he's trying to atone for himself. Uh, but Perry White has made a gold baseball for Tommy and it's the end of the story. Um, so everyone gets a gold baseball. Everybody everyone gets a gold baseball while fighting racism. Uh, there, there was one, uh, before we get into a, a couple yeah. of uh, final thoughts, there was one part of the, of the story that was really difficult to listen to. Was it the crazy um, part? Yeah, Perry White apparently has a servant, a houseboy, a uh, called Pogo. Yeah, who Perry White goes from this guy like stamping out racism to this guy like verbally abusing. It, the person's not there, but he's like verbally. They're lazy. They're stupid. Where are and then, they? Are they hiding somewhere? Are they laying? And under Pogo my... are sort of this nondescript ethnic r- racial character, right? He, yeah, he's like the Jar Jar Binks of the story. Yeah, and like, it's in rhyme he speaks in rhyme you can't tell if he is he supposed to be uh like um west indies or of tonga descent i i don't know but i guess i didn't say jar jar binks before the episode when we were talking but i think that's it i mean that's that was what it bugged me about it was the jar jar binks of the story right like it's racist yeah i'm not sure what's going on there but okay um product of 1946 radio i wasn't sure if it was supposed to be funny it was super cringy it was hard i mean but that's just us i mean us from this time period listening to this thing it like if anything didn't hold up it was this one character uh it was weird uh yeah and it, it felt, you now thinking about it now, I guess I didn't think about it because it's not funny, but I think it might have been an attempt at humor. Um, it, yeah, it could have been the lightheartedness. Oh, hey, there's the servant. And he is this nondescript uh, race. And we are going to have him do his sing song voice and rhyme everything. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so Jar Jar Binks is it. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and so awful. Um, and, and and be totally beaten because why? Because he, and, and this is the irony, right? He was beaten. He's a, from what, from, from everything they, they give the depiction of this person. He's a smallish person, not, not really built for fighting in that, in that sense, but yet went out against a giant group of, of the, uh, the, the clan that are burning across in Mr. White's front yard and tells them to stop, not right. ask them to stop. Tells them to stop, and 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 these big strong hooded men beat up this 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 frail being. So <laughs> that that was the that was definitely the 1946 of the story showing, and was super uncomfortable. But I guess from a final thought perspective, from from my perspective, and I'd love to get yours. Yeah. I I thought. 
there the two things I'll share because I really want I know we talked about this a little bit before and I yeah. want you to share with the listeners right mm-hmm. on one hand I am super excited that they attacked the clan uh very stridently said hey we uh racism is wrong uh discriminating against somebody because of their religion is wrong that in the, in America that shouldn't happen in the world it shouldn't happen and there were no African-Americans in the entire story. Mm -hmm. So I felt like awesome about it from one perspective, right? Yeah. And then on the other perspective, I was sort of like, man, um, they stepped out. They they did something really neat. They attacked something. And from some accounts, uh, brought down the Klan. I would dispute that a little bit. but I would definitely say a show like this would keep the clan from coming up after the war, like we mentioned at the start of the mm-hmm. podcast. But uh, and, and you had a different perspective than I did. So, yeah. so what, what were you thinking from that perspective? Well, I mean, OK, so on one hand, you've got you've got a you got a show that they put together that uh, uh, disparages the clan's uprising uh, because it depicts them, obviously, as as cowards and uh, uh, people who are are breeding fear and living through fear and, and hatred uh, and doing all these things. But you're also your, your bigger concern is that it didn't depict any African American characters or African descent characters in the story at the time. Uh, my perspective on it is at the time I found it very interesting that they would go to a Chinese family uh, after world war II. Uh, when a lot of Asian Americans or Asians in America were depicted as still either the uh, um, prior as the enemy or even afterwards still looked down upon and and, uh, definitely uh, utilized that as something to push the story forward or bring the story out with a family who would be preyed upon by the clan. Yeah. And I think my perspective too, is that if you're writing and you're trying to be safe, a Chinese American family would have a lot more sympathy following world war two to a listener or an audience, because of course the U S defended China against Japan in world war two. And so there would be more sympathy for a Chinese family. Right. And you don't, have to directly attack racism against African-Americans in the United States. You could attack the Ku Klux Klan without making that direct attack. So from one perspective, it seems uh, cowardly might be the wrong word, but a little bit cowardly, right? Not to go all in on the issue, right? Not to go all in and say, we're going to attack the Ku Klux Klan and we're going to attack the fact that they target African-Americans, right? Because it, it, in reality, uh, in the reality that we mostly know, or that that we we know that the that the clan, uh, even you know, depicted in the film that we talked about, uh, Birth of a Nation, uh, that is who they go after, and that is that is why they were uh, created in the in that first in that first wave, and they just continued to lob on to anyone that was different and anyone that had a different 
race, religion, creed. Uh, and that's, and that's as the, the clan advanced and maybe, I mean, this is me just, just throwing this out there, but maybe that's why it at this time point in time, maybe it was uh, a little, that also played a part in it, that it was, um, that advancement in there. Oh, we attack all things that are different than us. Yeah. And you're, you're to your point too. I think the, you know, you look historically and looking at it through a historical perspective. And I want to simply say one, this is where I say I'm speaking from my white privilege and I get to read all this cool stuff. And, you know, I called it cool stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I looked at silver age, but you don't see African-American major African-American characters in the two main comic lines like Marvel or DC until the seventies, right? Yeah. On a regular basis. And the, and even, even when you talk about the X-Men at the beginning, right? Yeah. Like Lee and Kirby say the X-Men are a group that's showing us that racism is wrong and it's it resembles the civil rights movement, but it doesn't. It's a bunch of white people with powers. Uh, Beast is blue. I'm Beast just joking. Isn't blue. No, Beast is it's not blue in the original jo- story. Was a, I was yeah. joking. <laughs> I was joking. That was purely for levity but yeah no i mean you're right they they don't they don't bring it head on uh they don't do that for a few decades and i think prior to prior to us hitting the record button and and you pointed out a lot of that was due to distribution and editorial kind of limiting uh maybe not editorial 100 editorial drove a lot of the stories that were being told but it was editorial yeah probably you know there was definitely it was governed by those things saying hey you know if we want to just if we want to distribute these stories and have distribution uh we need to keep it within the comics code comics code i think kind of really throttled a lot of what got out there and i don't necessarily i i understand where your frustrations are that that some of these stories could have, oh, they could have been so great. They could have tackled so many great things and they could have done it so much earlier and pointed out so much stuff to an audience and maybe woke people at a time so early on. We could have been so much more ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Uh, But I think we were in a society that wasn't, ready to face those realities yeah and and, yeah (laughs) sorry well i I mean i agree with you i just i think also though too i mean and i i need to you know since it's a podcast about this right i need to call out dc comics a little bit because even even into the 70s uh superman editor so dc usually had an editor that did all the superman books yeah and I'm a huge Legion of Superhero fans yeah. and Legion of Superheroes for a long time was mm-hmm. a Superman book. And Murray Boltonoff, even into the 70s, rejected an African-American character that Mike Grell drew for their book. And oh, yeah. And eventually had them draw another character called Tyrock. And feel free to look up Tyrock. It's do uh, it. It's a it's a it's a it's another podcast. So we'll do Tyrock on another podcast. But yes. The character in the story was just a police officer in the original story, not mm-hmm. Tyrock, but the original character. And they made they made uh, Murray Boltonoff had them recolor the character white. 
Uh, and so it was something that was very present. And one of the reasons was in the 60s, you know, distrib uh, distributors were threatened by vendors that they would rip the covers in half and, and send the covers back. And yep. if you don't know the history of comics, what happened for sales is uh, Greg and I are are the Greg and Dan comic book company. And we print a ton of books and we send them out to newsstands. And then if the newsstand doesn't sell that book, they rip the cover in half and they send us back half the cover instead of sending back the whole book. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we send them a refund for the books they didn't sell. So that's what they threatened to do. Like if they got the books, they would just rip all the covers and then go get a refund if there were African-Americans in the books. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of the history of it from a comic book perspective. And so the, the financial threat was real. And so in this era, you've got a, you've got financial pressure and now, now's where I stand up for the story, right? Even with the financial pressure, they still put this out. And then Greg, you were telling me before we started that Kellogg's was boycotted yeah. uh, by some groups. Yeah, they were. Uh, so because Kellogg's was a sponsor of, so this radio show was called a serial, uh, yes. mainly a cliffhanger. By cereal. That's right. Yes. That's right, fellas and girls. We here have Kellogg's Pep. Kellogg's Pep can be served with everything, including raspberries, strawberries, and peaches, and milk, and a lot of sugar, so you can be diabetic at breakfast time. Yes, and happy. Yeah, but uh, so the Ku Klux Klan uh, and folks affiliated with them uh, boycotted Kellogg's cereal during the, the after these episodes ran and they realized that they were being depicted and they they felt slighted and the only way they could do that was to boycott uh and uh it how brave of them i know but you know uh it definitely was one of those things that if you're i i find it uh i applaud the uh kellogg's the the cereal maker to to just say, hey, you know what? We're going to still back you on this, even though we're going to lose a lot of business or not a lot, but we're going to lose business because these people are, it might be a small, small group of people, but then you, like you were saying before, they would go into communities and infiltrate and become prominent and become people that, you know, whatever. So it, if they, if they wanted to breed that kind of fear, they could also feel like they, they could be on that verge of whatever. So they're like, hey, we're just going to do our thing and run these, run these serials because that's what we're going to do. And we're certainly even seeing some of that now, right? Yeah. Where you have the corporate allyship, which I would call it, where corporations are coming out and saying, Hey, um, yeah, we are supporting black lives matter. And if you don't like that, you're racist and we don't care about your business. Right. Yeah. So I've logged into video games and seen that on their opening screen, uh, you know, like, Hey, our gaming community has this is, uh, you know, dealing with this. And this is a, this is something that we need to address. And, uh, if you, if you hear this in chat, call it out, report these people and that, and, and that's awesome. I think that's, you know, that's great. Uh, and it's one of those things that, you know, we're seeing also, we see people like, yeah, so the Klan can boycott cereal, and we ourselves can also vote with our dollars and not purchase things or shop at places or eat at places that back and support things that we might not be aligned to. And do your research, folks. If you don't, if you don't like something and you don't support it, 
you don't, you might want to find out who does, and then you don't have to buy those things or shop those places or eat that food. And so I would also just say, Greg and I uh, appreciate the invitation to talk about this. And we hoped we picked something that impacts you as much as it impacted us. But we felt like this was an important issue. And for our podcast, which is Funny Book Forensics, this is the kind of stuff we talk about. We go back in time. We open the vault. We do some newer comics, too. But this is what you're going to get from us. We're going to take it. We're going to analyze it. And we're not going to pull any punches. If something doesn't sit right, we're going to tell you what our opinions are. And if something sits great, we're going to tell you what we think there. And this is the kind of dialogue you're going to get. So hopefully you can join us for more of that dialogue and keep these kind of discussions live about media. Because this is some of the things we care about. This Comics and media are things that influence our lives greatly. And so when something has this kind of impact, it's the type of thing we want to talk about. Thanks for listening to our special episode on Superman and the Clan of the special Fiery Cross. A uh, special episode of Funny Book Forensics. Of course, Gene Lu and Yang also recently put out a graphic novel about this and reconceptualized it. So I do highly recommend you pick Check that up out. and give it a read. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And this is Funny Book Forensics. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening, everybody. And Greg and I would only ask you to do one more thing this week. In line with this episode, please make sure you vote.